Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest, Casey Edwards, spent over a decade climbing the corporate ladder as a management consultant until she woke up one morning and realised she didn't want to go to work ever again. This inspired her to write her first book, 30-something and over it. After it became an international bestseller, she decided to continue writing. She has now published seven books and she mixes humour, irreverence and credible research to write about issues such as parenting, work satisfaction, motherhood, IVF, body image and the diet and beauty industries. She has also written columns for Daily Life and for other publications in Australia, the UK and the US, such as Huffington Post, The Age, The Herald Sun, The Sydney Morning Herald, Graza, Graza, I hope I've said that right, The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Daily Mail, Girlfriend Magazine and The Best Magazine. She was the most read columnist for Fairfax in 2017. She has a wide international reach with articles going viral, such as when your mother says you're fat and a plea to fathers to take more photos of the mother of their children. Welcome, Casey Edwards, to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Claire. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I can't wait to delve in to all of this raising girls malarkey. I cannot wait. Um, thank you so much because you're so busy. So thanks so much for giving us the time. Um, so look, I've sort of gone into a little bit of blurby detail in the intro around like who you are, etc. But look, tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, and how you got to write books about raising girls and helping parents. Yeah. Okay. Um... Well, so I'm a writer and a researcher, and so is my husband, Dr. Christopher Scanlon, and we also are the parents of girls. We've got two daughters, Violet, who is now 13, and Ivy, who's eight. And when Violet was first born, Chris and I were horrified that we were given such responsibility, and we felt so unprepared to raise a child. Like most parents, it's like, who would trust us, right? We had no idea what we were doing. And so I really thought about what I wanted for my girl. And I couldn't get past the fact that I wanted her to grow up liking herself more than I did when I was growing up. And, you know, I carried that through, you know, into my adult life, this feeling of never, ever being good enough. And I didn't know how to achieve that. How was I going to achieve that goal? So given that we're researchers and and journalists, we really had the very rare privilege of being able to ring up anyone in the world and that talk to us. So we did. So it was a 10-year journey. Wow. And I wrote columns for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald about girls as, as I was learning myself. And then one day we were at a party 
and we, Chris and I were both talking about our latest research about something and a friend said, I don't care about that. Will you just tell me what I have to do? And we said, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. So that's what we did. We, we wanted to create a book that was really practical. So every single thing in the book we have implemented in our own busy, imperfect family, because that's another thing that I found about parenting books. A lot of them just made me feel really bad because the standard was so high. It was like, I can't possibly do that. And if that's what's required to be a good parent, then I've already failed. So we wanted evidence-based strategies that you can actually do. And so what we came up with, we realized that it's about getting the foundation right. And so I'll just stop for a moment and say, this applies to girls, but it also applies to boys and it also applies to adults. You know, so I essentially reparented myself throughout this journey wow. and like myself so much more than I did before. And that's been the most surprising feedback from the book. I hear so often from women, mothers who said now they understand why they felt that way and what they can do about it. So just having said that, like if you don't have a girl, this can still apply to you. And it's the idea of um, building the right foundation. And if you build, and there's seven pillars, which we can get into, that if you get that right, then you're going to have the strength to withstand what life throws at you. It doesn't mean you're going to have this blessed, charmed life. It's you can withstand it. But it also means that you've got the right foundation to reach your potential and, and to soar. Yeah, and, like, you guys are both working parents. Admittedly, like, did you have the privilege of being able to work from home? I mean, I know I've just been through you know, we've been through like two, three years of COVID. And so a lot of us have worked from home, but did you got it? Like, did you have time off with the girls? What, what was your situation with your husband? How did that work? Yeah. So, um, so I did have time off. I was really lucky. I had a couple of years off and then I went oh, back wow. to work and, yeah. and, and, but then, um, writing, um, yeah, my column. So for the media. And so it's a juggle, you know, it and- is, it is. But it's, I understand that it is much more of a juggle for a single parent. And I think about that a lot. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, like I find it motherhood so hard. And there's two of us that, you know, like we, I have a partner who is an engaged dad. Um, yes. Yeah. And look, so and, and, and hats so, off. And some other single parents do have. Um, a partner who's engaged and they, they just don't live in the same house. So, you know, it's 50% yeah. each each way. And I've had some, <laughs> if they ever lived through it, they probably wouldn't say, but I've had some coupled parents go, oh, my God, sometimes I wish, you know, I could just be child-free for a weekend and, like, you know, send the children to <laughs> their fathers, etc. But I'm, like, going, yeah, but then you've got the other bits. But, um. But, yeah, but then you've got other parents who don't have a partner because they've lost their partner through bereavement or whatever like that. So they really have nobody to even get that break from as such. So, yeah, no, it's various different facets, various different facets. So, look, tell us a little bit about these seven pillars then. What are the seven pillars? Okay. So do you want me to just go through them? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So the first one is a power perspective. And this is about teaching your daughter or yourself or your son to think in a way that works for them rather than against them. And it is a critical life skill. You know, we focus on teaching our kids how to like tie their shoelaces and how to say please and thank you. This is something else we need to teach them. And the idea is that no matter what happens in life, you get to choose your perspective. 
And so a really good way of thinking about that is if you're looking out a window, you can choose to see the fly screen with the dead bugs and the grime. Or you can choose to look beyond it and see possibility and opportunity. And just an example, a real world example that happened in our family was Violet, our oldest daughter. So she had been to her birthday party and she brought all her presents home and she was unwrapping them. And Ivy, her little sister, was helping as little sisters do. And she broke one of the presents. And so, of course, oh, Violet no. was very upset and there was tears and you can imagine. Oh, yeah. And so we... we empathized with Violet that yes this was very upsetting but she could not change the fact that the toy was broken what she could change was her perspective and so we said to her you can focus on that broken toy if you want and you can feel sad and miserable for the rest of the day or you can choose to accept the reality of what's happened and focus on all the other good things that happened today, your party, all the people who love you, who came to celebrate with you, all your other toys, and you can choose to feel good for the rest of the day. And it's so simple and it's not denying reality. No. It's just take empowering yourself to think in a way that works for you. And another part of the power perspective is the idea that you get to decide if you are okay. And, and girls particularly are taught to let other people decide if they're okay. Yeah. And we see this, but by the age of 10, parents will say, oh, my God, she cares so much about what other people think and I don't know where it came from. You know, we hear stories of girls not wanting to go to school because they're worried what someone will think of their drink bottle. And in many ways we have actually been preparing them to be that insecure. Oh, wow, so I'll have just we? Give you, yeah, so I'll give you an yeah. Example. yeah, go for and it. So again, like we did this too, right? So this is not a criticism. This is just the way society works, right? Every time we, we tell We've it, been brought up a certain way though, haven't we? Sure. This is the thing. So it's hard for us as parents to break the way that we've been brought up ourselves, right? So it, it's actually being conscious of how yeah. you parent and actually understanding and taking a step back and going, oh, hang on a minute, am I actually doing X, Y, and Z, which will mean that age 10, 13 or whatever, we're going to get them into a situation. And then you just, and changing that and reframing stuff in your head as a parent. Absolutely. Because the reality is if we want a different outcome for our girls, we have to do things differently, right? And, and so, for example, every time we tell a girl that she can't wear a certain thing or look a certain way, we are telling her that our opinion about her matters more than her own. And as a parent, when she's little, you might not think that's a big deal because, you know, you have her best interests at heart. But as she gets older, she's going to be surrounded by people who don't. And if she has learned that other people get to decide what she looks like and if she's okay, do we want her to defer to the boyfriend or the advertising industry? So we need to teach them now when we are the most influential voice in their lives that they get to decide if they're okay and, and what they look like. And another thing that we do when our children come to us seeking praise and we give it freely, essentially they are letting us decide if their painting is good enough, if their cartwheel is good enough, etc. And just a really quick thing that you can do that takes no more time is say, <clears throat> it's your painting, it's your work, so your opinion matters most. I'm really interested to know what you think about that. 
Wow. And that's just, we call that's it so flipping cha- praise. Yeah. And that's so, such a change. Thousands of times in a child's life, thousands, they're going to come to you seeking praise. And that's thousands of little micro moments where you get to say to them, you get to decide if you're okay. It's your work. What do you think? And if they like it, you say, that's great. You should be really proud of yourself. If they don't like it, we'll say, well, what do you think you might do differently next time? Yeah. Wow. That's so awesome. That's such a simple phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very powerful. And so if you've got a little kid, one, and even big kids, it works with adults too, because it makes so much sense, is when they come to you and say, you know, Johnny said I'm a baby because I took my doll to kinder. Say to them, if Johnny said you were a giraffe, would that make you a giraffe? And even a two-year-old knows they're not a giraffe, right? And then you say to them, you get to decide who you are. doesn't matter what Johnny says. And you just lay that foundation so then when they're 15 and some kid says they're something, and they go, well, it's, I'm not a giraffe. Do you know what? They don't need to get to 15. My son's seven now. And, like, when last year when he was six, um, yeah, he was like, oh, I've been called, you know, he was called gay. And and he said, I think I'm gay, mummy. And I said, do you, do you know what that is? <laughs> so, like, do you know what that means? And he didn't really know what it means. But, like, so I explained to him. And, like you said, it's like, well, if you are, that's okay. It's not. It's not a bad thing. Why are they saying it's a bad thing? So, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, it's right. They get to decide. No, I think that's awesome. I think, and I think we need to, exactly. we need to do a lot more of that. Um, but we need to also be educating the kids who are saying, oh, you're not X because, because that's, yeah, that's not good either. Wow. So that, that's really, well, that's power pillar. That's power pillar number one. But it, like, that's really powerful yes. though, because, it's, and I had never thought about flipping the praise around because you always want to make your child feel good, you know, and you want to go, wow, that's really, that's really yeah. well done. You know, you've worked really hard at that. But yeah, what do you think of it? Are you proud of it? Yeah. And so some parents say, oh, but my child doesn't like it when I say that to them because they want the praise. And it's like, of course they do. But what is our job as parents? Our job is not to make them feel great in that moment, every moment. Our job is to prepare them to live in a life without us, to be so independent and so stable they don't need us. And so by building up their own sense of self, that is a far greater gift than the sugar hit of telling them that they're awesome in that moment. Because there's going to be people out there who don't tell them they're awesome. They're, there's going to be exactly. people who, and they're going to go, what is wrong with this person, you know? <laughs> and you're going to go, well, actually, this is normal life, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. And Yeah, when they get their first job and they take their, you know, report to their boss and their boss doesn't do a happy dance and tell them how good they are, they can really struggle, aren't they? No, I agree. I agree. Um, Yeah, wow. So what's pillar number two then? Oh, my gosh. Pillar number two is body confidence. Mm, This is important. And so this is the idea. It is. It's really important. I think whether or not a girl feels comfortable in her body, her body image can actually change every aspect of her life. It affects her her relationship, her academic performance. It affects her future finances. It is 
such a big deal. And the world is set up to teach girls to hate their bodies. And a lot of the advice that parents are given actually makes it worse. So I, when we were researching this book, I went to see one of the leading experts in raising girls in the country. And he told the audience that we need to tell our girls more how beautiful they are. Now, the problem with that advice is that nobody, no girl in today's society is beautiful enough. Doesn't matter who you are, right? The standard of beauty is so high that you're never going to reach it. But if we are always banging on about how beautiful our girls are, they're going to grow up thinking that it is the most important thing about yeah. them, that that is how their value is determined in the world. So we are setting them up to fail at the thing that we told them is most important. So real body confidence is not believing that you're beautiful against all odds. Body confidence is not caring that much whether or not you are beautiful. About all the things in your life that define you, beauty is just really low down on the list. And the way that we do that is to stop talking about girls' appearance, stop talking about their beauty. And this is really hard to do because, again, society, we are conditioned to see a little girl and go, oh, you're so cute. Look at the bows on your shoes. Look at your hair. Like, it's really hard not to do that, right? Because little girls are cute and beautiful. So, of course, you want to say it. But it is far better to say to a girl, you know, what do you think about that? Or, you know, what do you want to do? You know, like we don't talk to boys only about their beauty, right? So it is possible with a shift in our mindset, we can do the same to girls. And so they can grow up thinking that the world cares more about what they think and what they do rather than just treating them like dolls. Yeah, yes. And and you're right. We don't talk to boys that way. Although, like, mm. I think it's becoming a little bit more... Um, with the models out there and things like that, I think it's, you know, from the 80s, 90s and onwards, um, I think it's becoming more prevalent with the boys. There's more males um, nowadays with eating disorders and things like that because of this plastic, and I say plastic, unrealistic image because most people who we see online are either photoshopped or had surgery or whatever, life isn't like that, right? We get lines, we look old, we yeah. grow chubby or whatever, right? Because that's how our metabolism goes, is to keep us warm or whatever. So, you know, that's how we are. We are hairy, okay? We grow hair in colder climates because it keeps us warm. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yes. Wow. I agree. It is increasingly becoming a problem for boys. I saw the other day, the Oral B ad. Were you here as a child? In oh Australia? no, no, I wasn't. Okay. Mind you, I'm, sh I didn't think so. I'm sure that I'm sure the English ones were just as bad. Right. So growing up, there was a commercial for Oral B, the the toothbrush, yeah. and it was a picture of this guy looking in the mirror, and they said, "This is Rob. He's a dentist. We can't show you his face." Like every one of my generation who grew up in Australia would know that ad. There's a new one now. I saw it the other day. And so back then, Rob was just an ordinary guy. He looked like your dad. Now, Rob, the dentist, is fully built. He's got ripples of muscle down his back. And it's like, oh, wow. So even, even dentists need to have big muscles to be valuable and acceptable. Like, so boys are seeing that, you know, <laughs> When we fought for equality, we didn't mean for boys to suffer as much as we no. did, right? No, no, no. But that's starting to happen. Like they're, go they're 
inheriting all the body image baggage that we have had to endure. So, yeah, parents of boys do really need to start being very mindful of um, the way they speak to boys about how they look and the media that they consume. And so girls, we most parents know and have heard messages that we need to teach girls to be really critical of the images that they see, you know, the photoshopped images and blah, blah, blah. Parents of boys need to start doing that as well. Teaching. Yeah, exactly. But it, but it's interesting what you say about the fact that uh, the fact that we want to tell our girls that they're beautiful and stuff like that. But actually, that is a wrong because what about if somebody out there in the real world doesn't tell them they're beautiful, doesn't actually say X, Y? We're going back to this pillar one, which is the power situation. Exactly. And so they're going, well, what's wrong with me if I'm not, people aren't calling me beautiful. If they were called beautiful all the time by their dads, by their mums, by whatever, and then they go into the real world and they're just clusters oh, and I can't, they're just it's just them, right? That's all I'm going to say. I yeah. can't even, like, I don't even yes. want to say a word that actually would incriminate me as such. But, like, yeah. they're just who they are, right? Um, yeah, because beauty is something that someone else bestows upon yeah. you. Someone else has the power to grant you beauty, which means they also have the power to take it away. And we see that. You lo look at the internet trolls. What When they troll women, what do they go for first? You're not beautiful. You're not hot. Yep. You're not desirable. Yep. You're fat. So you're they, this. You're and I'm like, exactly. well, they try to take our beauty away. Whereas if if you don't care about it, then you don't have to wait for someone to give it to you or to take it away. You build your sense of self on a firmer foundation than other people's perceptions we, of your beauty. But we also have to understand, right? And and I know it's a little bit different with um bullying within schools and stuff like that because nine times out of ten the people who are being bullied online are actually being bullied by people they know right um but who are these trolls right I sit there and I go who yeah. are these faceless people who sit there and what is their life like that they spend their lives abusing other people online I'm like how full are their life like my life's so full I have a job trying to get through my emails every morning right so I sit there and yeah. go, who are these trolls that they can spend hours abusing all of these people, celebs, and then just normal people? Like, I just go, get a life, people. Like, stop abusing other people. Start hugging people. I sound like AB now. Yeah. But and also, how sad must you be in yourself that yeah. you need to hurt someone else in order to feel okay about yourself? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, oh, with society, I don't know. I don't know. Facebook and all of that malarkey has been good in some areas and not so good in others. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So they are two really like powerful pillars, right? And also yes. you've just turned everything as such on its head because what you're saying is, oh, no, don't do X. You really need to do Y, which is, which is great. Yes. And so what we talk about in our book is that to raise a girl who likes your, likes herself, you actually need courage because you are breaking the script that you have been following what? your whole life. No, sorry, carry on. And also the people around you expect it too. You know, it's really hard when grandma comes in and talks about whether or not your daughter's gained weight or not. You know, and I actually had to say to my mum, it was a very difficult conversation because, you know, of that generation, like, you know, they interact with the world based on who's lost weight, yeah. gained weight, yeah. looks their age, doesn't look their age. And I've said, do not talk about the appearance of bodies, anybody's body, 
in front of my girls. And my mum goes, oh, but when I compliment someone for losing weight, it's the greatest compliment. No, it's not. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> Basically, you're putting someone on notice to say that you're policing them. And I don't want my girls to think that they're, that it is normal to critique a woman's body. And so these are really hard conversations that people have to have. And you really, if you want to protect your daughter's body image, you have to protect her, particularly from grandparents. Grandparents are so influential when it comes to girls' body image. But the flip side of that is that they can be really protective. If you've got grandma and grandpa who take your daughter out or your son and they do things because they're just interested in your kid without and love your, your grand, their grandchild without caring about what they look like, then they are helping to build that child's sense of yeah, self Yeah, another one that's really... Um popular with boys is oh don't scream like a girl or don't uh, only girls cry or you know don't be a big sissy or whatever right and you just go hello uh no screaming like a girl like I've had some boys scream right and it's been horrendous <laughs> so it's not about sex or anything like that and girls and boys like yeah. mm -mm. so to me that's yeah just on that with, with boys. So um, <clears throat> our next book is bringing up boys who like themselves. So my head is fully in that research at the moment. But just the idea of telling a boy, you know, not to play like a girl, scream like a girl or whatever, it's clearly not good for girls, right, for, it to, for them to be so derogatory to girls. But it is really, really bad for boys. And the reason it is so bad for the boys is that half the world is female. And if, he, if your son is going to grow up being able to interact with a female boss, go to a female doctor, have a meaningful relationship with a woman if he's heterosexual, he has to be able to see her as an equal. And every time we degrade women, we are teaching the boys that the worst thing you could possibly be is a girl. And then we've got this loneliness crisis in men who have no connection and even the ones who are married. And it's like, well, if you can't respect your partner as an equal, you can't have a meaningful connection. So no wonder you're lonely. So by we're really setting up our boys to fail by teaching them that the worst thing in the world to be is a girl. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I... For want of sounding like an old farty, right, um, that I still feel as though a lot of the bars... And there's bar. It was. It amazed me that we had an art exhibition by a photographer that basically took pictures at a FIFO bar in Northern Territories or wherever. That was basically women dressed in their underwear, basically serving people in a bar, right? And they were like, "Oh, I felt really proud because you know we were taking pictures." And I'm like, and I was shocked actually because I went, "Well, hang on a minute, Australia. Like we're teaching, we're saying to our girls, well, you need to do this and respect, and we're saying to our boys, you need to respect women and stuff." So, yeah, we got bars where blokes who yeah. go away to work are going into a bar with a woman in her underwear who's serving them, and I'm going and. Not sure that's really the right message we want to be sending. One, our boys, men, and I know there's going to be a lot of people out there who would listen to this podcast who would go, oh, yeah, whatever, it's, it doesn't mean any harm. But I'm like, until we stop doing that sort of thing, until we stop saying, well, it's just, nat it's just nature, right? I'm going, well, no, actually it's, <laughs> it's not. Um and if and it's, and it's sold to people. women as if it's in, if it's empowering, yeah, 
and you think, well, why why don't men have to take their clothes off to prove they've got self-worth and are empowered? Yeah. Like I'm I'm trying to you think know, like, why, why I'm, I'm trying to think of a female environment where I'd go, right, well, I'm gonna set up a male bar exactly the same, right? Where females go in and I mean, Jesus Christ, the men who would have to work there would have to be like Teflon, right? Because I'm sure um, yeah, it would just be busy as, right? But what would the men say about that? They would be uproar. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I think we need to start looking at people as human beings, not as in hims and hers and thems and theirs and like, yeah. Anyway, we digress. We've went down a rabbit hole, but I am, yes. but I do see it. I mean, look, it's in every country in the world. So I, it's not just in Australia, but I see that it's more socially, well, I feel that it's more socially acceptable here that we can have those sort of things. Um, and to have an art exhibition with it, I was like, Okay, but like celebrate the female body, but not in a dingy bar in Northern Territories or wherever it was. It might have been in Queensland. I don't want to sort of slate the Northern Territories, but it was somewhere and I can't remember the name of the bar even, so that helps. Um, Old age and Alzheimer's probably. So anyway, right, okay. So um, they're like like two awesome pillars to start with. So what are some other pillars then? Okay, so the next pillar is body ownership. And this turns out to be our most controversial pillar. Wow, is it? And even though it really disappoints me that it is controversial in 2022, that it is controversial that a girl actually owns her body and decides what happens to her body. Well, I was going to say, what does owning your body mean? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the idea is that she gets to decide what happens to her body in terms of how it looks, and here's the big one that's controversial, who she gives affection to. And so I ended up on the front page of the Daily Mail in the UK with oh this Oh, my one. God. And it's, if a child does not want to kiss or hug grandma, then a child should not have No, to. I completely agree. And it's all about if they want to. So my kids are really affectionate with the other adults in their life. They choose it. But if they don't, then that is okay and we need to back them on that. So we know that girls, teenage girls, are grossly underprepared for dealing with sexual advances and dealing with requests to send nudes. 98% of girls who send nudes don't want to do it. They feel like they can't say no. And one of the reasons they can't, the biggest reason I think they can't say no is because their whole life they've been trained that it is more important to do what someone else wants to make someone else feel comfortable than to do what they want themselves. And this is something that adult women can really relate to. It happened to me just the other day. I was walking, well, I was in the middle of COVID. So walking down the street and someone I knew, a man came up to me and he went to give me a hug. And I, like, I wouldn't have wanted to hug him anyway, certainly not in a pandemic. But in that moment, I didn't have the skills to say no. Yeah. And it was like, of course not, because I have my whole childhood, I was taught that I did not have the right to enforce boundaries, that other people's comfort was more important than my own. And the thing is, if you want your daughter to be able to say no to sexual advances, no to sending nudes, then she needs to practice that in the safety of her own home, even, and this is especially the case, if it makes someone else feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. You need to be, your daughter needs to be able to make an unpopular choice and she needs your support to know that she is still loved and accepted when she makes yep. it. And I've even had friends 
um, say, oh, come on, um, give Claire a, a kiss or a hug or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 they don't need to. If they don't want to, that's cool. Give me a fist bump or like high five or whatever. Um, but like, because <laughs> you can see the child going, I don't want to do that. And and that's fine by me. I'm not going to take offence. Like, hello. So um, I'm like, fine. I can remember when I was a kid going, oh, I don't really want to do that. And like, yeah, you still, yeah, and you had to. And you're right. It's about... I've, even now, right, at my age, right, there are times I go, oh, I don't feel comfortable, but I sort of go, I don't want to make that person feel bad, right? But And yeah. actually, like, yeah. And it, you're right because you do, it's all about being, it's almost saying you won't be accepted if you put that boundary there when actually that's not the case. They need to put that boundary there. Yeah. So that's the lesson girls are taught. And then when they're teenagers and they don't enforce boundaries, we slut shame them. Yeah, oh, exactly. And it's it's almost like, a, yeah, don't make that other person feel bad or, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah no, I agree. No, I look, well, Daily Mail, you can go away, yes. right? I don't care. I so, agree with you completely, completely. Because you can still be polite, yeah. like you said, a fist bump, you know, you can still engage in like a social ritual of greeting yeah. someone without having to trample on your own boundary. I have to say, though, there are, there's a professor somewhere, and I can't think where he is, I read it the other day, who is dead against fist bumps, high fives and stuff like that with children um, because he said it undermines you as the adult, right? And I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, but this is, my, you know. I notice it's a he, oh, right, yeah. because this is most, you know, so Chris, my husband, he says when he was told as a kid to kiss granny, he just said no when he ran off. You know, boys are allowed to do that and it was cute and he was a scallywag. Girls aren't. No, it's, do you know, it's funny you say that. You're right. Girls aren't classed as a scallywag or, you know, it's being cute. They're like, oh, what's up with you? What's wrong with you sort of thing? Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, you're right. And, and, and also at that young age, I suppose we're then enforcing that, um, that mental separation between boys and girls as such, because boys can do like, it almost seems as though boys can do whatever they want and treat people badly and do, you know, and not be nice and sleep with hundreds of different girls. Right. And, oh, they're a lad, they're whatever. It's all socially acceptable with them. It's all good. Um, although I personally being a girl, I wouldn't touch them as a, with a barge pole. Right. Um, but yeah, that we've already sort of started to put that in really. And that happens at like two, three, such young ages. Yep. Wow. And so it's not just affection. It's also what they do with their bodies, you know, what they choose to wear, how they cut their hair. And again, like I said earlier, <clears throat> there's going to be really loud voices that don't have your child's best interests at yeah. heart. So it's important for your girl to, again, make an unpopular choice, wear something that you don't like, cut her hair in a way that you don't like, and you and she'll say, do you like it? And you can say, well, no, I don't, but it's not my body. It's yours, wow. so it's your choice. And so the rule that we have that gives so much clarity is if it's not permanent and it's not harmful, she gets to decide. Okay, but then, okay, but I, like your husband is so integral in bringing the girls up, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I I just sit here and I look at that and I go, okay, we know there are some 
clothes on the marketplace that maybe show a little bit too much. And I'm sitting there as my old 50th South going, okay, so how do you deal with those sort of situations? You just, we just do this exactly the same say, look, it's probably showing a little bit more flesh than I'm comfortable no, with. No, no, you wouldn't say that. Sorry, this, okay, this I don't know. See, I have a boy, so okay. I'm like so relieved that I have a boy. <laughs> but then who knows? I mean, you know, boob tubes for boys might come in and then we're... Well, boys are allowed to go to the beach in Speedos well, and yeah. no one minds about that, Yeah, right? mate, it's, you're right. So when we say that girls are being sexualized, who's sexualizing well, it's, them? Yeah. Not the girls. No. We are. And so when we say to our girls, you need to cover up, what we're saying to them is I'm judging you, that it's okay to judge a girl's character by how she looks, That, and underneath that is she's asking for it. We don't like to admit it, but that is the attitude that shapes a lot of these opinions. And research shows your daughter could be wearing a paper bag and she's just as likely to be harassed or assaulted as wearing a boob tube, okay? I had a friend the other day, it was the first time her daughter, she was 10, walked into Coles by herself. She was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and some creepy man made some creepy comment. You know, it doesn't matter what your daughter's wearing, she's going to get that. But if you teach her that she invites it by what she's wearing, you are teaching her to be ashamed. You are teaching her that she is responsible for other people's bad behaviour. And you're and you're right. I mean, you know, uh, you're completely right because it is a choice. At the end of the day, these people who are creepy um, or make the choice to do what they do, right, um, that's their choice. It's not your... Yeah, and... Your daughter can't stop that. And the other thing is, is <clears throat> your daughter can walk into a room of a hundred people, and a hundred people, and there's going to be a hundred different judgments of what she looks like, right? Some people will think it's fine. Other people will think it's too much, or whatever. She cannot please a hundred people, right? So you can't set her up to think that she has to. But we, she has to please herself. My view also is, and I know there's a few um, people on the socials who are supporting all of this. But my view also is us women are the worst critics of ourselves and we have to stop doing this. We have to stop. If we don't feel great about ourselves, is us not feeling great about ourselves. But don't shame somebody else because of what they're wearing and what's going on with them because um, to me that's, a, that's bullying and people do that as adults and like... Yeah. So, like, yeah. And the thing is, as adults, try this. Every woman you see have a really positive thought about yeah. her. In your head, have a compliment about how she looks, who she is, and whatever. And if you start putting that out, you will start to you will start feeling better about yourself as well because you'll be training yourself to not be judgmental because when we judge other people, we are training ourselves to judge ourselves yeah. as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And there's like teachers online that are wearing, I mean, they're like teachers in their 20s that are wearing just like what anyone in their 20s would be wearing and they're getting like told, no, 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 you can't be wearing that as a teacher. And I'm going, well, well that's, what is that teaching boys and girls and all of that mm -hmm. malarkey um, about what you can and can't wear? That's just, yeah, that's, you're right, you're right. <laughs> but it is it's really controversial so, and it's really hard. But it's so hard as well. There's been, 
yeah, oh, look, there's times when my girls want to wear something, you know, when we go and visit grandma and I go, oh, my God. But what I have to remind myself is that me feeling embarrassed for a, a moment is nothing compared with my daughter learning the lesson that other people get to judge her by what she yeah. wears. Yeah, I agree. I Yeah. Um, my only worry is colour coding with my son. Like that's from a from a mum as a mum of a boy, it's colour. But I go, oh, you want to wear that? Okay, that's cool. Because okay. <laughs> I'm like, I wouldn't put those colours <laughs> together, buddy. But, you know, if you're thinking it's okay, that's cool. All right, that's cool. It, you know. But the other thing for parents is like, this is a fight you don't need to have. No. You know, like how many parents have fights with their daughters over what to wear? It's like, don't fight. Don't have that fight. Just create more harmony in your home by saying, go for it. Look, I can remember a strawberry cerise, I think it was called cerise pink, shoulder padded coat that I wore that if I ever saw a picture of it again, I would rip it up. But my mum and dad had to let me go out like it. Um it's horrendous and it was all fluffy and weird like oh it's horrendous right and I look at it and go oh my god what was I wearing that for but they never they never I can't think that they ever told me you're not wearing that which hats off to my mum and dad for doing that but um but there was those other people who did so yeah wow yeah. we're only up to pillar number three and there's another four to go. Like, but this is really like but this is really interesting and I think it's really really important and this is why i wanted desperately to get you on because like no 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 because i like it's really important to start to turn on its head and have these discussions because the socials are just i think destroying our children's confidence um dictating what they do um yeah it's just it's just horrendous and we need to start building our kids up and helping them Mm -hmm. helping them So my view on social media, again, is a little bit controversial. I don't believe that the problems we are seeing with girls are caused by social media. Okay. And I think the, and we need to be really careful because every time I talk about raising girls, people go, oh, mobile phones, Instagram. And they think that if we just get rid of those, girls will be fine. No, no, no. But I have interviewed girls who are six and they're wanting to slice off rolls of skin off their stomach you know so these problems that girls are having start way before they get to social media I think social media is a magnifying glass that magnifies problems that already exist so again getting back to that foundation you get the foundation right so that they can withstand social media the other thing about social media is it's not going away okay so if we keep our kids off it it's like giving them the keys to the car without any driving lessons and say, go for it. We need to introduce it to them while we still have influence so we can help them learn to navigate it. Yeah, properly. I agree. It, was, it would be like, you know, it's like um, saying, right, you can never have sweets, right? And then it's like crack cocaine, yeah. right? Like when they get to the point where they can make choices and decisions themselves, they're just going to go, well, I never was allowed sweets, so I'm going to eat loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of sweets and um and also um like i look i agree with you regarding social media i don't believe some social media has created this problem i believe we have our upbringing our way that we look at women through the through the ages so 40s 50s 60s i mean 50s housewife oh my god 
I'm so wouldn't have coped with that, right? But like, but do you know what I mean? So, and and so all of those sort of things haven't moved on. I think we need to educate our children that what they see online is a view, a window, like you said earlier, right? It's a window that you get to look into somebody else's life, that they allow you to see certain things, but they don't allow you to seeing them sitting there eating the, you know, tub of ice cream crying in their bed while they're getting trolled by half a dozen. They don't allow you to see that, right? Because that's not what they want you to see. It's all a big image enhancing yes tool right it, that's what it is right and it's not the real view and so getting your kids out there showing them the real world a real view and what really happens and that life is ups and downs sadness but that's how we learn right that's how we educate learn grow as people um is the best way forward but yeah look i i do agree with you like it doesn't doesn't social media if we got rid of it would not I didn't have social media when I was a kid and I still had an eating disorders. I still had a body image. I still, you know, all of these boundaries and I didn't have social media. Mm -hmm. Social media didn't come along till I was in my twenties. So that just proves how old I am. Never mind. Um, Okay. Pillar number four. Where are we going with pillar number four? Okay. Number four is calm. And so calm is not a great word for what I mean, but it's the best we could come up with. And it is the idea that for a child to be to like themselves and to have all the things that they need to have good mental health, physical mental health, physical health as well, learn at school, have good friends, is they can't be tired, they can't be overscheduled, and they can't be overstressed. Now, there is so much pressure on parents to cram as many skills and experiences into kids as quickly as possible. And what's happened is that kids have lost the joy of childhood and play. So when your child plays freely, I would argue they are learning so much more than they are at piano lessons. Like it's great that your kid can play a concerto, but what your kid's not learning is how to navigate relationships with friends when adults aren't there. So many kids have no time that isn't adult-led. They're not learning how to explore who they are and what they like and don't like without being ranked and measured. Mm. They're not learning how to be creative and to daydream. They're not resting their brain. So if you want your child to learn at school tomorrow, what he or she needs to do is play tonight. Because when your child gets into flow, it's like resetting the brain. You know, like when you've got too many apps open on your phone. So that's like when your kid's overscheduled. You have to restart your phone. That's what play does to your child's brain. The other thing is, is we know that what is absolutely critical for mental health is having a sense of control over your life. Children have very little control over their lives anyway. But traditionally, where they did have control was through play. You take away play, you take away all their control over how they spend their time, and that is a disaster for their mental health. So we need to fearlessly fight and defend play. You know, like, so if you pay for, you know, karate lessons, you take your kid to karate every Wednesday night. You should be just as committed 
to playtime as you are to any extracurricular activity. But would you say playtime with you or because I know my son would go, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to play on my iPad every night. Thanks, mum. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. It's all okay. good. And I'm going to go like, and, and my view is, and I've now started it again because I'm not very good at this being a single mum, but like, my view is he can have his iPad in the mornings. It's cool. Mummy's not really a morning person. So he watches his iPad, does stuff. Only um, He can only have it because he's got certain things he needs to do. If he doesn't do those things, then we'd no iPad in the morning because mummy needs him out the door, right, because i got work to do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But then in the evenings, I've now started again to say right no ipads in the evenings no tv no ipads we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna do like i want to spend time with him and i don't get that much time Mm -hmm. with him in the week right because i work so it's about having dinner together and it's about playing a game doing lego whatever i'm gonna we're writing down some some of it might be we're gonna draw together while watching a youtube video that teaches us to draw some weirdy character right but is that what you're meaning playing together with them or with you with themselves okay and with other friends so the definition of play is that it is child-led they get to decide what they're doing how they're spending their time they're controlling the game And there is no objective except for play. You know, kicking around, kicking a ball around in the backyard is play. Going to soccer training is not play. Singing into a microphone in your bedroom is play. Going to a singing lesson is not play. And so play can happen online. All the good stuff that comes from play can happen in Roblox and Minecraft. And if your child really loves playing games, then play the game with your kid. I do do Minecraft, so but we do argue. <laughs> right. Because I'm not doing it right. Those games are fantastic. And that, so the new research that just came out just a couple of months ago from the UK that looked at the benefits of play. And so excluding, you know, exercise and fresh air and things like that that obviously come are good for outside, all the other benefits, cognitive benefits and social benefits, your child can get by playing with a friend or you in an online game where they are creative and they control the play. So take the pressure off. You know, if your child is playing with his or her friend on Minecraft and they're chatting away, that is play. That is good parenting. Okay, fine. And we so won't tell my son that, see, though. <laughs> but particularly with boys, what our research is showing is that when boys are playing, they are able to communicate and connect at a deeper level. I I completely agree with you there, completely. If I need to get any information out of my son regarding how his day's been, is there anything worrying him or anything like that, then I have to play with him because I can't can't question him. There's no way. He clamps down. But girls are... But are girls different then? So boys play, girls... Some of them are, but I use that too with my girls. I'll bring the tub of Lego out, I'll put it on the floor and they'll build and my job will be to find the yellow pieces or whatever. And that that's when their brain is really receptive and they chat away and it's a non-threatening environment. I suppose. But also for kids. I suppose when you see these police interview sort of situations, that's why the kids are playing with toys because they can glean information. Yeah. All these movies that I've watched, but anyway. Yeah. Wow. 
But so my advice about online, you know, so there are reasons, there are good reasons why parents should be scared of some of the things that happen online. But treat the online world like the real world. You wouldn't drop your kid at a shopping centre at age six and say, I'll pick you up in two hours, right? You bit by bit prepare them for the independence of it. You know, you start holding their hand and then maybe they go into a shop and you wait outside and whatever. It's the same with online. Like if you know what they're doing, like we just, our kids play online, but they have to do it in the lounge room so we can hear what's going on Um, or we'll get in and play with them and understand their world. Um, And then that's a really positive experience. And I think it's really important what you say there. It's about getting in there and understanding their world, right? Because like, me, I'm a really old mum, right? So, um, but I still like to get in there. I like, I'm in IT and I have been in IT. My day job is IT. So that sort of stuff doesn't scare me. Um, but it's about getting in there. I've played Avengers on the PS4 and like, I'm not very good at it. And he tells all his mates, mum is rubbish <laughs> at this, right? But I don't care, right? Because I'm getting in there. I'm understanding. I'm connecting with him. I ask him to help me. So I'm like, buddy, can you help me here? Because I can't get over this bridge or whatever it is that I'm like smashing. Um, he does get frustrated if I am Hulk though and I smash him because I don't know what buttons I'm pressing. <laughs> but like, you know, it, like it's good because you you get that, you're building that relationship with them. And I think that's more important is building a relationship with them and, and going from there. So yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So look, so what was that? That was four, right? That, that was number four. Wow, yep. Okay. Number five is mastery and independence. And so our generation of parents, They were told that the way you build a child's self-esteem is by telling them over and over again that they're awesome and then one day they'll magically believe it. And you see that in the playground, you know, it casts a long shadow. It's amazing how many, how much unearned praise is going on in a playground, right? But the thing about self-esteem is you can't give it to a child. Self-esteem blooms from within and it blooms from mastery and independence. It's not from you telling them that they're awesome. It's them doing things that makes them feel awesome, makes them feel comfortable. Oh, sorry, and and like that they can do life. And a really good example of this is riding a bike. You know, it's such a monumental moment in a child's life. And one of the reasons for that is they have to do it alone. You cannot ride your child's bike for them. And it comes after a period of struggle. They fail, they fall off, they have to persist, and then they succeed. And that is what self-esteem is made from. And so I used to see it with my oldest daughter. She'd be in the playground and I would be one of those parents who I didn't want my little girl to be upset or to struggle. So I would rush over and I'd lift her up onto the playground to keep her happy. And I trained her to be helpless. It got to a point where she'd stand at the bottom of a climbing frame and she'd put her arms up and look at me. It's like, wow, I did that. I taught her that she can't do this herself. And then when Ivy came along, <clears throat> we'd done a lot more research for the book. So we understood all of this. We were also busier and less helicoptery, you know, yeah. second child. And Ivy had to navigate her own playground goals. And I remember one day she it was a real struggle for her to climb on this particular slide. And she got to the top and the look of pride and satisfaction on her face was priceless. It's like that is what we live for and that is what I denied Violet for all those years by rushing in to rescue her. 
Mastery is the key to self-esteem and the road to mastery is paved with struggle and frustration. We have to be brave enough to let our kids struggle. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you and I'm I'm like how you were with your first child. It's like Oscar's my only child. So um, there are times where I go, I've made this monster. <laughs> I have created a monster, right? Because you're right. He just goes, shoes, put my shoes on, mum. And I'm like, uh, yeah. put your own <laughs> shoes on, buddy. Um, and tying laces is just horrendous. Um, and it's mainly because mummy got frustrated because he was tying his laces and I needed him to go to school quickly, you know, stuff. Yeah, look, I mean, there's all times like that where you don't have a spare There are, but do you know what? And I need him yeah. to practice at the weekend. He needs, I've sat there this morning. It was funny you should say that because I sat there this morning and went, I've so got to get him to do that because it's terrible. He can't do up anything at the moment. So, like, you know, it's got about Velcro and I'm like, nah, we're changing this. This month we're changing it. But, um, yeah, look, I agree with you. It's They need to struggle. Yeah, no. Yeah, and so and they need to struggle in things that they can, they can then succeed at, right? So resilience is not just chucking your kids in the deep end and letting them drown. Giving them things that are too much for them is traumatic. Resilience comes from your child being hopeful and having faith in their ability to achieve things. And the way that they have that hope is by having a track record of struggling and achieving things. Yeah. So you give them tasks that they can achieve at with time and talk them through the strategies. So they, you know, you coach them from the sidelines. So the rule that we have for mastery and independence is only do for your child what they cannot do for themselves. In general, unless you're in a hurry and you need to get yeah, out. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Morning, but, you know, of course. But, you know, that. but then I could have just practised it in the evening. So, I mean, there, there are ways around everything and, I, like, I completely agree. And I know you're trying to be really nice to me, but don't. I've just been lazy. Oh, no, no, but we're the same too. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, like, you know, sometimes I don't want spaghetti smeared on the wall. Oh, I know. You know? <laughs> don't. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's great. Look, I'm conscious on time. Because we've been okay. going for like an hour and uh, oh, okay. yeah, no, no, no. And I know you're busy. Right. I know you're really busy, busy, busy. Look, if people want to find out what six and seven are, because let's keep people wanting, yeah. okay? We can't give them all the seven <laughs> pillars and all the dips and ends. Um, right, I'll just tell you very oh, briefly okay. what they okay, are. Yeah, give okay, yeah. Us- Number six is strong relationships. Okay. And this is the idea that social skills do not necessarily develop naturally in the playground. You have to teach yes, them. Yes, you do. And then seventh the seventh one. one, my favorite one is authenticity. If you want your girl to like herself, she has to grow up into the best version of the person she chooses, mm. not the person you choose for her, no matter how well intended. I yeah, and that to me, there are things that my son does. That I go, oh my god, but I go, no, take a breath, take a step back. He is his own person, right? And he is not, I don't own him. I don't, he's not like, I've not given birth to him and then gone, right, well, you're my possession, right? He's not my possession um, and my thing to mould, right? He's there to mould himself, right? I'm just there to help him to stay alive and like, you know, to like try and get the right values and behaviours. No, I yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's always cognizant in my head. I don't want him to, I want him to be happy in who he is and not try and be something that he thinks I want him to be, which I think is so important. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people I know that have had a problem 
like, oh, I'm a lawyer because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer or yeah. I'm a doctor because of X or, oh, I couldn't come out to my parents. I'm gay, but I had to, you know, hide it from them. And it was so, tr all of these things, I just go, no, just let your kids be who they want to be and just be like, the hug them. The biggest gift we can give our parent, our, our children is something that is free and we can give it to them right now. And it is to love and accept them for the person that they are in this moment they don't have to win a race or pass a test or whatever they are already good enough in this moment yeah. there's a one in four billion chance of any of us being born right we are miracles all of us okay yeah. we just have different skills and different miracle stuff that's going on no look thank you look if some if people want to find out a little bit more about you guys uh, you and your husband or like um get these books these bestsellers that have gone crazy all over yeah. the world. Um, so, they're all, are they all on the normal platforms? Um, yeah, so you can get them. So there's a hard copy book, there's an e-book and an audio book. Right. And so you can get them from all bookstores or you can come directly to us at our website, raisinggirlswholikethemselves.com. And I'll also give you a link to a body image family health checklist. Wow. And so you can put that in your show yeah. notes if you want, and you can download this checklist. And it's just something to run through to see what's going on in, in your family. Are you behaving in ways that build your child's body image or maybe corrodes it a little bit? Because the thing is, we can't control what happens in the outside world, but what we can do is make our home a safe haven so your child knows that as soon as they walk through that door, they are going to be loved and accepted for who they are and their body image is going to be nurtured and protected. Yes, 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 yes. No, that's fine. Send it through and I will pop it in the actual um in the podcast notes. That's awesome. And um I have one final question for you. Yes. And it can't be one of your own books or anyone like your husband's books or whatever, right? Yeah. Okay, but mm -hmm. what book would you recommend to my audience and why? Fiction or non-fiction, doesn't really matter. Okay. So the book that I'm loving at the moment from a parenting perspective is No Drama Discipline. Ooh. So it's written by the authors um, <clears throat> Daniel Siegel and Tanya Payne who wrote The Whole Brain Child. Yes. And that book's huge and everyone knows about it. But their other book, No Drama Discipline, hasn't taken off, but it is brilliant. Wow. It is the idea that instead of punishing your child, you use that moment to build their character. And I think it's really powerful because, again, like discipline is something that happens every single day yeah. in your family. And if you discipline the right way, you can be helping your child to grow up liking themselves rather than feeling like they're a bad kid and, and, and shame. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it is really important to do it the right way. Um, but, hey, we all sometimes do it the wrong way as well. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But then part of that is we, we model apologising. Yes, exactly. And and I have to agree with you there. I mean, I did something the other day and I had to go back to my son and go, hey, didn't really do a very good job of doing X, Y and Z. I can't think what it was today. But I know that I actually went back and apologised to him and he went, oh, he said, all right, mum, that's all right. And it's just very bizarre. But you've got, you're right, you've got to teach them to be strong enough to apologise as well because some people, yeah. namely my dad, has never apologised to a person in his life, whether he wanted to or yeah. not, you know. So it's, you know, you've got to take the bigger road as well. But hey-ho, 
Let's hope he's not. I know my mum listens to this, but I don't think my dad does. So that's okay. That's good. I'm sure she'll tell him. Um, no, look, thank you. Thank you so much, Casey, for coming on and um, and just speaking to us. It's great. Thank you. Speaking to me, speaking to the listeners. It's brilliant. I really appreciate it. I've been trying to get you on for the last, I don't know, eight months or whatever. So I uh, thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to share this research with the the world because it like it's not mine, you know, it's all out there and I just want to be the mouthpiece because it is all evidence-based and it really works. Well, we need people like you to go out and do the research because there's people like me who just need you to tell us what it is all about because there is so much research out there. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.